Hello and welcome to Films That Time Forgot, um, looking at Hollywood films from the past 30-odd years. My name's Adam Thornton, your host, and joining me to talk about the Denzel Washington, Russell Crowe film Virtuosity is Adam Wynn. Hello. So, Adam, uh, what's it that you do exactly? So, uh, in my work life, um, currently I'm working uh, in VR training. So that's virtual reality training uh, with kind of a commercial aspect where we kind of deal with companies trying to either train up their new staff or to kind of give um, kind of more personal training. So, for example, we like we've done some work with uh, police force in the UK around kind of victims of hate crime and things like that. And we try and use virtual reality, put them in the shoes, you know, that kind of old um, saying of walk a mile in a person's shoes, you know, and you'll kind of understand them a bit more. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of that kind of understanding uh, or aim that we're doing. And yeah, so far it's been pretty successful. It's obviously like a very new industry and we're learning as we go. But um, yeah, I th- it's uh, it's been quite interesting. So you've not had like a CGI Russell Crowe sort of come, come to life and... And, and Not, kind of, yeah, yeah, that might be a couple more projects down the line. We might get, might be able to have the budget to get him in for it. Yeah, I, I was going to say. Well, I think they barely have the budget to get him in for, to get him into this film. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, Virtuosity obviously does star Russell Crowe in his first Hollywood film as the evil VR program Sid. Um, he was up against Denzel. Uh, it, it, this is his first Hollywood film um, after appearing in a whole load of Australian films from the late 80s onwards and he's starring opposite Denzel Washington as the cop ex-cop turned criminal Parker Barnes who's up against him now Virtuosity uh, underperformed at the box office it only grossed 24 million uh, stateside on a 30 million budget and it received mostly negative reviews which I can kind of get because um, the film's tone is a bit all over the place. It doesn't quite know whether it wants to be more of a serious kind of techno thriller or whether it wants to be just a big, goofy, effects-laden kind of romp with Russell Crowe hamming it up. Um, I don't know if you found that. Yeah, absolutely. Even kind of like that stereotypical, you know, detective kind of cop movie where, you know, he's, he's seeking retribution and, you know, justice for, like a personal death like you say it's like yeah quite a big mix of different film genres almost felt in there in some ways yeah and the cgi expert aspect almost kind of feels shoehorned in like there's whole sections where it just feels like a very kind of standard like police cop thriller and then all of this all of a sudden you'll get this you know you, you know you'll get this random like kind of cgi heavy sequences that kind of come out of nowhere and and kind of feel a bit like yeah. they're kind of jumping on the on the tail ends of something like the lawnmower man so you do wonder if the cgi element of of the virtual reality elements was really almost an afterthought which is strange because it feels like such a large part of the film but it only part really film, comes yeah. in when it's convenient yeah you're right it, it definitely was the way wasn't it i mean I kind of like some of the use of the CGI in it. Obviously, it wasn't the best CGI. And I don't know if uh, 1995, wasn't it, came out? I don't know how good CGI yeah. it was, but, but it, I found they, they used it in some useful ways, I think. Um, like, for example, like, you know, when his face would distort and things like that when he was in the real world? Oh, yeah. Like little touches I quite like, but yeah, some of the more hammy stuff kind of 
was a bit distracting, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, I think the opening scene kind of makes good use of um, a CGI where you've got Parker Barnes um, dressed in a really goofy cop uniform for some reason. It's like, is this what they expect cops of the future to wear? He, he looks like a kind of old-fashioned kind of lift attendant. And I don't know what, what, what was going does, on with yeah. the outfit there. And he's yeah, sort of... Yeah, and he's sort of there with his ex, kind of with his with his partner, sort of tracking down tracking down Sid in this mm. in this what looks like kind of futuristic Los Angeles, but we don't know whether it's the present or the future. The film never really makes it sort of clear yeah. on, on what the setting is. That's a good point. I mean, I was kind of wondering that myself, and I felt like they were setting up as a bit of a dystopian future. Obviously, the whole idea around it, the artificial intelligence, everything that would have been way ahead of the 90s. But yeah, you're right. You watch some of the scenes and a lot of them, sometimes you think, oh, this still actually looks just like the 90s. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't actually yeah. look like that far in the future. Yeah. Um, because... But they have like the scene, like the kind of the wardrobe they use and the bits actually would make it look like it was quite far in the future. So, yeah, it was kind of almost split in that way, wasn't it? But Yeah. So you've got kind of Parker and his partner going around this sort of, futuristic futuristic sort of LA landscape tracking down yeah. tracking down Sid and they mm. they eventually hunt him down into this very stereotypically Japanese restaurant like so Japanese it comes across as kind of racist like you've got all the geisha girls as the waitresses and it's yeah. kind of it's it's the first kind of sign that this film is going to have a very inconsistent tone where it just goes really over the top at the uh, top right, at times. Yeah. and yeah. you also get this with like Sid's first scene where he's like I mean Russell Crowe is overacting like fuck but at the same time he's like really threatening as well and it's like you can sort of see what he's going for but you almost wonder if he maybe needed to just rein it in a bit to make to yeah make... I was I was yeah I was thinking the same thing actually and you know, the whole idea, obviously, he's this artificial intelligence yeah. he's made up of the mind of 20 plus, you know, psychopathic. Oh, series. yeah. I, I wonder that as well, whether his performance, whether he was intentionally kind of making it a bit extra hammy, a bit over the top because he was meant to be this concoction of all these crazy minds or whether it was more kind of that era's ideas and understanding of what a AI could be or do you know what I mean? Because he seems, you know, if you can compare him to like today's standards yeah. of what you'd see as an AI character very different wasn't he he was very, like very emotional yeah kind of incredibly so yeah so that was I was trying to figure that out it was like is this is this the character he's meant to be or is this just kind of like a very crude interpretation of what they would think a released AI could be like I almost thought like um, Russell Crowe was trying to base this performance off Denzel Washington. No, not Denzel. Wes Wesley Snipes in a Demolition Man, because ah. it's a similar kind of futuristic kind of set uh, setting, and yeah. um, and it's a similar plot line. And Denz and Wesley in that film is very sort of over the top. He's very sort of hammy as the main mm -hmm. villain. Villain, and you wonder if with Russell Crowe, <clears throat> he, he was Russell Crowe. Either he got the idea or the director mm. sort of asked him to basically act like that because that's yeah. how futuristic villains act and Demolition Man was really successful. So we just want to ape that. I think you're right. I think it probably was that because I think, you know, the story itself, I didn't feel like was the tightest. And so I don't feel he'd be going 
well, this is actually what I think an AI would be like if it was, you know, made up of all these crazy different personalities. So, yeah, I think it was probably more on the fly, wasn't it? This yeah. is what's worked for. Let's, let's use that again. Yeah, but the shootout between Sid and Parker in the kind of geisha restaurant is really yeah. tense and well-filmed. I mean, the action scenes are actually pretty solid, although although yeah. I'd argue that there's not a lot of them, considering Sid is meant to be like this sort of violent AI um, I was kind of expecting a little more of the old ultra violence from him. Um, I kind oh, of felt like I kind of, I kind of felt like the film sort of held back a bit from that. Oh, because I, I felt the opposite. To be honest, I felt like there was a lot of. I kind of felt they relied on the action actually in the film. You know, it was like a lot of. Um, sorry, that's my phone. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, I kind of felt like you obviously straight off the bat you've got that big action scene, haven't you? You've got the big shoots. Yeah, yeah. And stuff like that. It's kind of peppered throughout with these big shootouts which were, i felt were kind of more like um almost diehard and escort definitely yeah. that era anyway yeah i mean i mean especially when we get to the climax where you've got a whole load of shattered glass on top of a high yeah. building that's that's yeah that's right out of diehards but i guess i was yeah. just expecting sid to have more interesting gory kills like kind of like robocop Type yeah, villain kills or rather, or yeah, rather yeah. than because he does an awful lot of like neck breaking and neck snapping in this film, mm-hmm. and I sort of thought, mm, okay, I was expecting a little, I expected the violence to be a little more amped up, and you have to wonder if that's maybe from the studio's perspective, it was like, let's just keep the violence at a sensible yeah. level because we don't want to like, you know, what else I kind of noticed, yeah, sorry, no, no, finish no, um, no, no, you, you go. I was just gonna say like yeah I kind of noticed like you were saying about that but he had this kind of almost creative super intelligent side to him which reminded me a bit of Hannibal Lecter yeah um, I've had this like like he was quite chaotic wasn't he all over the place Sid, but he was it almost seemed like when he was composing that symphony in the in the first event yeah that he takes over, yeah it's like it's like there's this crazy genius inside him and you know, I wonder how much that played into them, whether he would be, it would meant to be more gory or not. But then, you know, if you look at Hannibal Lecter, like that was, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, maybe. Well, it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, the whole thing where he's conducting in the in, in the nightclub, it is sort of like when Hannibal Lecter kills the prison guard. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought that was what they were going for, because otherwise that whole thing about him being musically talented doesn't quite make sense because... There's, mm. you know, there's nothing about serial killers that indicates that they, that, that all of them are that sort of creative. So I'm wondering if that was more exactly. a sort of, oh, yeah. he, he's a serial killer. I, I know who else was a, was a, is a popular serial killer around about this time, <laughs> Hannibal Lecter. Let's include yeah. that scene. So, yeah, there are moments yeah. like that where it does feel a bit derivative, where you're like, oh, they took this part from Silence of the Lambs. They took this part mm. from Demolition Man. Mm. yeah but, definitely but what happens is is that at the end of the um at the end of the shootout we then find out that um that, that barnes uh, denzel's character was in a simulation and is having kind of a mid-air seizure like he's suspended mid-air and he's locked in this vr machine and he's having yeah. a severe seizure and this is supposed to be for training uh, police officers and that's pretty yeah. risky that's that's a pretty risky <laughs> yeah. for like if you're a police cadet and if you're 
you know, locked into this, this machine. Like, how risky is that? Like, why would you choose this method to train police officers? That's a bit messed up. Yeah, there's a bit of a Robocop in there as well. Isn't there? It's kind of like that whole police force being like the most important thing. Yeah. With the most powers. So you're trying to create this new class of like, you know, super police officers or whatever that's going to reign in order and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. But that always backfires. And, you know, that kind of hold the creator. There's that, even that Frankenstein thing, isn't there? Of yeah. Just, um, creating trying to create this new thing that always comes back to end up destroying its creator and it was a lot of i've noticed quite a few references and a bit of a theme of religion running through the film i thought as well you know yeah because sid kind of mentions god later on doesn't he sort of says something like yeah and his creator and he the the guy who actually releases him like what's his name it's uh lyndon meyer lyndon meyer well um yeah, he at one point he's having a conversation with him and he's talking about him being his creator, about how you know, kind of meek and unpowerful yeah. he is as creator, and it's like he kind of wants to supersede that and go on and you know get into the world and create his own kind of, I guess, himself as a deity. Yeah, I mean Sid kind of Sid's Sid very much almost immediately kind of mocks his creator from the start. He's like, you know, I'm way I'm getting way more smarter than you, pal. That's awesome, yeah, absolutely. Although it kind of becomes inconsistent towards the end because when they try and link him in with Parker's sort of backstory and the whole God thing just go a little bit out the window, um, which we'll come on to yeah. later. But I, I, yeah, I, I feel like mid, I feel like they started off with that God idea and then mm. sort of midway through decided to chuck it out the window to link him more in with the Denzel Washington character. Yeah. And I kind of feel like, you can sort of see where that plot thread kind of gets lost and it's a bit of yeah. a missed opportunity. Yeah, I noticed that with a few different things they introduced, I feel like, throughout the film that kind of you're kind of waiting to maybe see them explore a bit more or, you know, in whatever way. But it's, yeah, like you said, they kind of petered out and they never really were answered. And yeah, so- I'm, I mean, that whole Lyndon Meyer character as well, he sort of goes... Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he, yeah. kind of just, I mean, he starts off as being kind of, um, kind of freaked out by sort of Sid's intelligence. Then he sort of goes on the run. Mm. Then, then he, then they find him again, and then it, then, then you sort of think, oh, maybe he's more of a good guy. But he then, in probably- the, uh, but then in the end, he sort of goes back to being well evil again, and yeah. you sort of think that that's a bit inconsistent, and it's not really fleshed out. Yeah, I feel like he was probably the weakest character, and I think he was there as a plot driver. Yeah. You know, there just to release him and then to kind of come back and murder the you know the kind of honorable older police officer yeah part was very weak i felt they could have done more with him and that whole kind of um vibe around you know the creator and the god and religion oh yeah there's no it was a very spontaneous and quick decision from him to just release him wasn't he like you know he tricked the guy the guy thought he was going to be and that's another thing, as you know, the way that the he he comes out of this egg, like this monster. Oh yeah, yeah. Kind of but that's that's egg. kind of but that yeah, that's kind of weird. That's almost like sort of like the fly yeah. or like aliens. If that yeah, doesn't really it? Yeah. yeah, it's not really linked in with like VR because you'd imagine they'd do like a CGI thing of him just sort of coming up out of nowhere. Like, bup, 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 bup. You'd see like a whole load of polygons slowly yeah. sort of like... become more detailed. But this feels more like biomechanical, and it's almost like they didn't know. Feels like they didn't really yeah. know how VR sort of worked or how to use the computer <laughs> graphics properly. 
That's, I think you're right there. I think that's what it was. I think it was one of the first kind of cruder depictions of what this whole thing, the virtual reality and artificial intelligence could be in the future, set in a dystopian horror, you know what I mean? But it it was never fleshed out. It was kind of, I guess, maybe more of a cultural introduction, maybe about the ideas. Yeah, I, there wasn't really a lot of pre- predecessors. So I think we had to use a lot of, older films that dealt with a different kind of artificial being so like Blade Runner yeah. um there was a little bit of I felt um I don't know Demolition Man but in Judge Dredd that came out the same year there's this same sort of imagery of half-formed clones in tanks that have been grown biologically and right. you're wondering if they were just using the makers of virtuosity were using that kind of imagery because again they didn't really know that much about VR because yeah. it was the technology was so new at the time yeah and i i gave the film a little bit of leeway for that i think because i was like you know what fair enough you guys are trying something one of the first times i've seen virtual reality and that kind of stuff like as the main theme running through a film so yeah you, someone's got to start somewhere haven't they and kind of give it a go and i think you know i obviously it's not the best film in the world but i i did like some of the ideas of kind of what they were trying to explore i guess in yeah. that whole new world, artificial intelligence, everything else like that. Could have been done a bit better, not gonna lie, but yeah. interesting, yeah. One thing that um, I did find interesting was after the opening scene with Parker in the simulation, we find out that he's actually a convict. He's an ex-cop mm. that got arrested for the murder of the terrorist, um, the terrorist who killed his family, who is mm. called Matthew Grimes. Yeah, uh, he was trying to stop this this terrorist Grimes, and Grimes ended up taking uh, taking his family hostage in revenge. It, it, you know, as a way of kind of as a way of sort of getting Denzel to back off, and Denzel ends up unable to save his family as they as they blow up in a bomb mm. attack, which also causes him to lose his arm. I felt like yeah. they didn't they didn't make a lot of use of that kind of prosthetic arm, and I don't quite know why they had. They included that in, but Denzel's missing one of his arms. I yeah, I was I was thinking about this actually. Um, I think they had a reason to put the arm in, and I think it was a good reason, but they just didn't flesh it out or really reference it enough. So I thought the whole arm thing was like he obviously lost his family, he lost his arm, and he's bionic now, isn't he, with that metal yeah. arm, which makes him more like Sid and that synthetic world than kind of anyone else is almost like he's now straddling this line between those two worlds yeah um and also becoming it's like you know he he lost family and he, he, he's starting to become like a bit of a monster himself he's in prison yeah. he's killed innocent people all this kind of stuff and Sid at one point actually in the car chase he references a lot how they're very similar yeah. so I thought this metal arm this bionic arm was meant to be a representation of kind of his partly becoming like not evil but like a monster more so like Sid and and then that tying in also with him being the only person who was actually able to kill Sid I think because of this kind of relationship they have and similarities in some way but like yeah like you're saying it was like the arm was shown and actually I think he uses the arm to kill Sid in the end doesn't he to remove his he he does yeah but it's not really established that the arm can kind of give him more that that arm is particularly stronger. I I, 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 yeah. I don't think they really establish it enough. And I don't think they That's really establish 
how that separates him from all the other flesh and blood characters. That isn't really. Yeah. I feel like they kind of really undercut that that kind of plot element. Yeah, I it had it had the legs to potentially be something bigger. You know, I think they could have made that a really interesting kind of aspect of the film. But yeah, like you said, it was just. I felt like that just kept giving way to more kind of uh, gunfights and typical kind of 80s, 90s storytelling where it's, you know, just I've got to kill the bad guy and then, you know, hooray everyone, that's the end of the film kind of thing. Whereas they could have really explored these kind of differences and similarities between Sid and Parker and, you know, AI and the, the real world or virtual reality in the real world. Yeah, because the whole sort of thing where Sid later on in the film says, you know, we're, we're, we're not so different to you and I. And it's mm. almost like, well, um, you, I mean, you kind of are. I mean, you're killing lots of innocent people, whereas the character of Parker only killed, like, like a, a cameraman and the um, reporter when, 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 oh, when he was... When he, well, yeah, when he was trying to save his family. Well, yeah, well, well that part we'll get on to because that's an interesting plot element, which I also have some views on. But yeah, yeah so okay. the char character of Parker then gets recruited by the police after once Sid is kind of brought to life and gone on the loose. Hmm. And and the person who tells him this is um, a, psych a psychologist called Dr. Carter, who um, who who's sent to evaluate um, Barnes. And that, now apparently, um, I mean, Dr. Carter's female, and there was meant to be like a romantic relationship between between them but Denzel Washington right. wrote it out which is interesting because that is interesting because you actually feel like that sort of relationship would sort of explore like Parker not feeling fully human with the biological arm and everything and as a mm. result that kind of seems to be a bit of a missed opportunity of character development I think you're right but I think with the rest of the start of the film it could have made it even more cheesy potentially depending on how it was done but you're right it could have been a tool used to yeah bring parker out of his shell a bit more maybe yeah also um in the scene where um in the scene where lindenmeyer tricks um the other programmer clyde into sort of bringing sid to life there's a really yeah. clumsy bit of kind of ex uh, um foreshadowing that he does with this like um fake snake that he fake snake that he has where he where he's yeah. kind of where he cuts it off and it's like oh it, the nano machines cause the snake to regenerate, but mm. he, in order to kill the snake you have to rip the core out, and I mm. just thought that's a really clunky bit of foreshadowing. Um, also, I'm, I'd also the nano machines regenerating that kind of sounds like bullshit to me. I'm not a very <laughs> tech savvy guy, but I don't think that's how that works. <laughs> yeah. Especially not the way it comes out, like uh, little tentacles and just eats the glass, but you know, who knows? Uh, oh, who yeah. Knows yeah. Well, I mean, well, when you actually see Sid being formed, you've got these like groves underneath his skin, and it like, again, it looks mm -hmm. very like biological. It doesn't look yeah. like, it doesn't look like a virtual reality at all. It doesn't all look like. Yeah, yeah. It's like they threw all the kind of biggest ideas in science fiction together into this film. We're like, this is going to be different because it's like about this really interesting future stuff that isn't really you know in the cultural narrative at the moment oh so yeah I think that's probably his, his aim with it but yeah that's a good point it was a bit clunky wasn't it with the foreshadowing like with, uh, it showed the snake and him killing it and taking out the uh 
taking out the, the little core almost like it's just unplugging a computer and it's that easy you know yeah it's, it's just a bit it's a bit too convenient and also another slightly kind of cliche development is that they um the reason why Parker Barnes was recruited to catch Sid was because he was the closest. He came the closest to catching Sid in VR, but that's, that's not right. taking to, yeah. that, that, but that's not taking into account like the complications in the real world. It just seems a bit wishful thinking on their on their parts because they can control VR, but how do they know that Barnes will be effective catching Sid in the real world? That, well, that seemed a bit. Yeah, you're right. It was just like he was the only cop in the world that would be able to actually do anything. And I was thinking, surely there must be some other guys that can do that. He just seems like really angry and determined, which I guess, well, I guess that's where the honor thing comes back in, doesn't it? Cause like yeah. his boss was like, he's the best cop I've ever worked with in my life. And yeah. It's the standard. Man, all this kind of stuff. Like, yeah. Which was cheesy as hell I felt, but, um, also- it was quite common for that time. Yeah, also during the scene, Parker's told that even if he's given a full pardon on catching Sid, he'll be sort of tagged for life and be given mm. this tracking implant, which comes into play later on. And I thought the twist involving that, that basically if he sort of like kills anybody and sort of escapes and sort of goes off grid, he'll get he'll get um poisoned. Mm. Is was kind of I thought that was kind of like a cheap way to make the sort of the police force seem like the bad guys to try and make them seem like this sort of robocop type type kind of fascist yeah. villain i thought i thought it was just a yeah. really clumsy way of making them seem seem like that when they sort of weren't otherwise set up to be like that yeah i think that's the things like that kind of gave me that dystopian future vibe it was kind of like more ultra control over a person and um yeah all those kind of different ways but yeah, I felt like it didn't really carry on throughout the film. Yeah. Also, um, also speaking of um, Sid being made up of, he's we let they later find out, and um, Barnes and the Dots later find out that he was composed um, by Lindenmeyer of the personalities of um, two thousand serial killers. I think it was, including the um, including Charles Manson, because. A murder oh, yeah. he he commits is like based directly off the Manson murders, where he right, writes yeah. like death to pigs, like death to pigs on the wall in blood. Um, yeah. One I thought, one I thought that was a bit in bad taste to kind of reference the Charles Manson murders in your like <laughs> cheesy sci-fi action film, and second yeah. of all, I don't like. Charles Manson was not a snappy dresser, as we find that Sid is, because he steals the guy's suit, nor was he particularly um, flamboyant in the way that Sid is. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a kind of weird example to use. Yeah, he was a very interesting character, wasn't he? And I, I think time back to what we were talking about before, like perhaps they were trying to distinguish him in some way as being artificial intelligence and very clever and you know a genius through the use of him being into music and trying to do that composition and being more flamboyant and being kind of like almost slightly charming but deranged do you know what i mean it's like yeah but then you but then you have like but then you have a reference to charles manson he was like a grungy sort of right-wing hippie who was none of these things and it's almost Mm. like 
oh, we need to think of a famous serial killer we can reference, um, Charles Manson. And the crimes he committed were just, I, I just think it's like the wrong tone for, for this kind of film, because the film isn't dark enough to justify yeah. referencing the Manson murders that way. And I just thought, really, you, you're doing this? And like, you know, yeah, when a couple yeah. of scenes later, you're going to have the character of Sid strutting down the road like he's John Travolta. It just seems a yeah. bit of a mismatch. Yeah, exactly. Like Fever. Yeah, I thought that was quite funny. Yeah. Um, but also, um, when when um, Barnes and the Doctor discover that Sid is made up of the personalities of all these serial killers, they find out that the, that the prevailing personality, or at least Barnes thinks this is the prevailing personality, it was um, Matthew Grimes, the terrorist mm. who killed his parents. Now, what's interesting about this is that terrorist is different to serial killer, which Sid has been acting like so far. Yeah. And also... I mean, they kind of link it in later on where they sort of, where Denzel sort of says, oh, Sid is acting like Barnes in that Barnes wanted the media's attention for his cause and Sid is trying to draw attention to himself. But yeah. I don't think I've ever, I mean, from what we see of Matthew Barnes and from what I know of terrorists in general, they don't tend to be as sort of campy and over the top as Sid is where he's mm. like sort of using the weird sort of touch type instruments in the um, nightclub yeah, to compose, to yeah yeah to compose music based on somebody's screams and where he's like where he's like firing off over one liners that comes across more like campy 90s villain rather than yeah. uh, re reincarnated terrorist to me yeah, yeah, he wasn't serious enough at all for the, for what they were defining him as being. He was, yeah, very kind of over the top, I think, with it. But do you think there was reason for that, or do you think it was just them kind of going, um, let's create a film about putting the worst kind of, you know, murderer's mindsets into an AI and see what happens? I think, think it was... Beyond that, or? I think it was also because with terrorists, you get to use bombs and it means that a ticking bomb climax works better yeah. than a climax where Sid is either mowing his way through hundreds of people, which even for an R-rated film in the mid-90s, it would be hard to show. Or, yeah. it, or a scene where he's holding the little girl hostage with it and something like a knife, which mm. would, again, be maybe a bit too intense to show. It's a lot easier to show a ticking bomb scenario which also means they can yeah. absolutely even actually the <clears throat> depictions of terrorists like when they had the video of him you yeah know, back when he killed him and stuff i mean if you had that today it's such a, a far cry from what we depict terrorists in films as today isn't it you know oh yeah in the 90s because so i, I found think... that quite interesting as you watch like for a minute i was kind of like this isn't what a terrorist looks. you know what i mean it was like it's yeah. been ingrained in our lives and i was like through the noughties onwards that it's just it was interesting to see that back in the 90s and their their depictions of terrorists on screen yeah because you know it's like a white guy calmly delivering his demands to like a press crew very yeah like he's french resistance or something you know yeah yeah it's very sort of calm whereas like you know today depictions of terrorists it's you know handheld sort of phone camera phone footage of you know sort of a, a lunatic sort of loudly 
declaiming declaiming he's gonna yeah but he's gonna fuck up everybody it just yeah it, it does feel very it does feel very innocent and it does feel like it fits in more with sort of cliched movie villain who's kind of calm and in control and who's the yeah. mastermind behind everything rather than what we know about terrorism sort of post 9-11 yeah yeah I Although I thought um, Sid sort of recording his hostages screams in the nightclub and playing playing it back, I did think that was a nice touch actually, where he's sort of like pressing the button and like a different scream comes out. That's kind of really yeah. darkly funny. Yeah, that was that was an interesting touch, wasn't it? And I guess there was because that's like almost synth synthy kind of music is as well, isn't it? Synth wave, and they reference synthetic quite a lot throughout the film, and obviously the glass and all the rest of it, but. Yeah, I, I like that that kind of touch. That creative side gave him a bit more of an interesting character, which although still didn't really define him or kind of make it more apparent what he was or his ambitions were or anything like that, it's I think it added to the dynamic between him and and Denzel, yeah. which I didn't think was. What, what did you think of their actual dynamic? They didn't. They were very much having to play off each other because, again, they were almost like polar opposites and they didn't have a fantastic amount of screen time actually talking together. I mean, obviously, you have the climax and you have the scene where Parker's getting freed from the police van. But mm. it, other than that, yeah, there wasn't really enough of, uh, of, a, of a connection between them to really make the whole we're not so different, you and I thing really work. And... Yeah. Honestly, we didn't get enough of a dynamic other than what was shown on screen and what was told to us. But he's but Den but Russell's the rogue AI and Denzel's got to hunt him down. I I do feel like they could have done a bit more with that. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. That could have been. I think it's again, it's it's all these things that just fallen short. You know, they've they've kind of aimed high and they've kind of gone for it, but they've just I think settled for you know just mediocre 90s heavy action kind of film with a bit of AI and CGI thrown in, like you say. Also, also I think that the reason why they made it so that um, Sid's so hard to kill is because Denzel so easily catches up to him and, like, fills him full of lead. Like, he does that quite a few times in the film, and I'm thinking, if they didn't have that failsafe at the start of the film, like, the Russell Crowe character would be dead and the film would be over, like, 45 minutes in. Because in the nightclub where where he's holding all the, all the patrons hostage, Denzel bursts in and sprays him full of lead and he quite easily... Oh, yeah. And a lot of the time... Yeah. It's, yeah, and like a lot of the time, Russell Crowe isn't really like fighting Denzel hand, uh, one man on man. He's like just running away and letting Denzel yeah. follow him. So a lot of the time, it's really more chase scenes rather than fight scenes. And I, I felt like they kind of missed a trick and showing how invincible Sid could be in the real world and showing how him being an AI, that's the advantage he has. They didn't really make enough of that, in my opinion. Sorry, I didn't get the end bit. They didn't make a... They didn't really make enough of him sort of being like, kind of like his sort of invincibility. But they couldn't. Really, they didn't yeah. really have enough of him sort of fighting Denzel in the way that, the way, the, the way that they did with the T-1000 in The Terminator. I just felt that yeah. that was that was like a missed opportunity. Yeah, it was, and obviously the way they did it in the Terminator was was kind of the standard, wasn't it? It was so well done, so kind of dark, and you know worked well. But 
yeah, you're right. They, they definitely missed a trick there. And I think for me, the that that dynamic between the two was probably more more of the one interesting, more of the one interesting kind of parts of the film. If you know what yeah. I mean, so I would have liked to actually maybe flesh that out a bit more. And also looking at those differences between the two of them as well, and the similarities, sorry. Because I think, again, the you know the writers there were kind of trying to touch on this whole kind of theme of God and its creation and the whole Frankenstein coming back in it. I think they kind of tried to touch on that again, you know, a few times through, and that's the way they could have done it a bit more, I guess. Yeah, so after Sid escapes, he gets kind of chewed out by his old mate and the rest of the police force. And he argues that Grimes is the dominant personality in Sid based on recognising what Sid was saying to him. And he then mm. argues that because Grimes is the dominant personality, Sid is going to escalate to bombing and crowded to attacking crowded areas to get attention, which yeah. again, which I guess is where the God element sort of gets dropped and where the terrorist element comes more to the forefront. And I think that's where the whole God element just get, yeah, they do kind of throw that out the window. They're like, yeah, no, he's just a an, a, a digital reincarnation of this terrorist guy. Let's just go with that. Which, yeah, because like... And, yeah. You, you, yeah, because you, you're right. Cause you said it was, was 2,000 personalities in there as well, didn't they? And I think they only touched on maybe two or three at tops. Yeah. So um, they were just kind of aiming at this one thing. But then... Sid did say, didn't he, when he was breaking him out of the van, um, you know, Grimes kind of comes to the surface whenever I see you, and he kind of got this, like, look of pleasure on his face. Oh, yeah. To make, like, it reminded me a bit of, um, I don't know if you've seen the more recent film, I think, is it, um, the one about the split personality, is it called Glass? Oh, Not yeah, Glass. Glass, yeah, yeah, Glass. Glass, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and how these kind of uh, personalities are playing out in this guy's head, and you know, what comes to the forefront more based on who he's interacting with and things like that. I, I quite like that. It's quite interesting to me, I think. And But again, in, in Virtuosity, yeah, I think they they focus too much on that and maybe not yeah. as much on what this, what this kind of crazy creation was, you know, that I felt like he didn't really have much of an ambition apart from literally just wanting to kill people. And stuff like that, which if that was the aim, fair enough. But like they could easily have had him like copying multiple serial killers or like multiple murderers and sort of yeah. having him, having him dispatch people in various yeah. methods. And because it's so many like personalities inside of him, you don't know what his motivation is gonna be. Whereas whereas mm. the character of Parker just figures it out immediately, right? He's gonna to escalate to bigger to bigger targets yeah. now. And so it's just like, oh, you may as well just have made it just for one guy then if you're not going to explore the rest. Yeah. Again, it's just a case of missed opportunity, I think. Yeah. What Do you, do you think there's a reason kind of why all these things were kind of started to be explored and weren't? I um, think these... it was maybe them either being overly ambitious and thinking, no, actually, we've not got enough screen time to show all of this, or actually, this is too complicated for us. Let's just make it, let's let's just make him more of a standard terrorist with a quirk rather yeah, than, let's just, let's just, let's just do Die Hard with a quirk rather yeah. than explore this idea seriously. Absolutely, yeah. And I think you're right. That became even more apparent as the movie went on. Well, it gets you know, actually, it gets more like Die Hard later on because as soon as they come to the conclusion that Sid is evolving. We cut to Sid doing the Travolta strut with staying alive in the soundtrack as he walks up yeah. to um, 
a TV set, switches it on after killing the guy who complains, and then notices that there's a wrestling match taking place at a local stadium. Mm. So the Doctor and um, Barnes work out that Sid's next target is going to be the stadium because, like Grimes, he wants an audience, which is a bit of a weird deduction, but it does seem like they're kind of coming up with this stuff a bit off the top of their head, but just because... He sounds a bit like Grimes. That means he's got Grimes. It's yeah. that M.O. Forget about the other 2000s. Yeah, forget all it's, that. Fuck that. Grimes. Fuck that. It's all Grimes, baby. So they track Sid down to where the wrestling match is taking place. And again, they miss out on an opportunity because um, Sid doesn't kill all that many people. He just sort of, He just sort of kills one guy, then jumps into the wrestling ring. And then yeah. as soon as he does, he briefly faces off against the wrestlers. Then Barnes catches up to him again, and then he mm. flees. And it's like, I noticed, oh. Uh, just in that bit, I noticed um, Parker was, remember, he was aiming at him, and Sid hadn't seen him. Yeah. And it looked like he was about to take the shot. And he yeah. kind of had this moment with himself where yeah. he showed he his gun, and he was like, no, this is not the right way to do it. And I think that was trying to tie in with his themes of kind of like, you know a bit of redemption and stuff or trying to be a better person because he's just had that chat with his old police officer you know yeah, boss yeah he's saying get shit together he starts sorting yourself out yeah and so i think he decided no actually there's a there's a there's a way i can do this without potentially killing some people yeah. or make it worse and that's when he goes around and lets sid see him yeah and sid obviously runs off so i thought maybe that was the way they were trying to say well look actually parker is you know, he's got this really bad side to him, but he's yeah. trying. He's still trying to have a bit of humanity and try and do it in a better way where there's not going to be more casualties like the woman on the train and the Yeah. The I, I, yeah. So I thought it, that was like a slight, you know, evolution of his yeah. character. Again, it does, just like very short snippets and then gone. Yeah, I think that's the problem though. Is again, it's just a brief snippet because the film's like an hour forty-five minutes, and I do feel like yeah. if this film were like twenty, it. twenty or so, if this film was more like two hours, you'd have had more time to flesh that out. But mm. but because of the running time of the film, it just goes by so quickly that it's hard to register. So yeah. so once again, so once again, I mean, Sid does briefly lap up the crowd's attention. But then he kind of escapes to the train station where he takes the train passenger hostage. And as we said, it looks like Parker shoots the, the train passenger and Sid escapes and Parker is once again arrested. But though now any tension that Denzel may have killed yet another innocent person is kind of undone by the doctor immediately arriving on the scene after Denzel's mm -hmm. been hauled away and saying, oh, we looked at video footage it was Sid that killed the, killed the woman because the entry wound came in from the back, which kind of ruins any sort yeah. of ambiguity we could have about Denzel's character. It was like there was such yeah. a big moment there for some more depth, and it just gets lost. You're right. They could have they could have used that as a bit of a talk, and they? they could have made it as he did on purpose again, like he did with the the guy in the sushi restaurant in the first yeah. scene. Yeah, they could have they could have played around with that a bit. I think absolutely, like him walking the line between being, you know, good and evil. Because I felt there was quite a lot of black and white storytelling in this as well. It was kind of either you know you're good or you're bad, and it had that kind of again like the '90s '80s cop kind of just up against evil kind of vibe going on. You know, very linear thinking. 
So we then get to Sid sort of breaking um, Parker out of the van and sort of doing his whole we're not so different you and I moment. The audience finally gets to see um, the reason for sort of Parker's revenge against Sid, you know, the whole thing with Grimes sort of blowing up his family. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, I, I like the way they reveal this information in piecemeal bits throughout the film, but we don't get a full I picture like early yeah. on. We just get that brief was... sort of flashes. Yeah, that worked well, I think. That 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 kept, kept a bit of pace in the film, you know, it kind of kept it yeah. a bit. And I also... And I also like the kind of impressionistic way we sort of see um, Denzel. Uh, Denzel, um, at one point, he's, I think he's actually in his cell earlier on, and he's kind of like drawing with crayons. And it's like yeah. he's doing sort of childlike drawings. It's almost like he's trying to recall, um, yeah. you know, happy, happier moments with his daughter. Then we get the quick, then we get the quick kind of flashbacks to them just before they died. I thought that was very, very effective. Yeah, that was that was a nice little touch. It kind of showed the more human side of him, I guess. Because the I felt film... like that was yeah. Sorry, uh... sorry. You, you, oh, no, you... So yeah, I felt that was like another tool, just kind of used to to show this duality in him. You know, between being something, you know, a criminal, a hardened criminal, killed innocent people, to being you know a man that's lost everything and you know wants uh, you know redemption for not being able to save his family and stuff like that. Yeah, it's also, I think, one of the few moments where stylistically, um, it, it um, where stylistically the film looks kind of different from like other like 90s sort of techno thrillers. Because up until this point, it looks fairly similar to stuff like Demolition Man and what have you. It's mm-hmm. only sort of kind of this part where you're like, oh, okay, that's something a bit different. That's, that's an interesting kind of change stylistically. In- Okay, yeah. In the composition, you mean? Yeah, it, yeah. In like the shot composition and the way it was filmed, I thought, oh, okay, that's that's kind of like that looks strikingly different from what you, you'd normally see in yeah. similar '90s films. You're right. I noticed that as well. Actually, there was a scene where Sid is looking at himself in the mirror, not long after he's become real, and I think he's got like a scratch on his cheek. There's a bit of blood there, but the the border of the mirror there's like two mirrors kind of put together and his the angle of the camera is his face is between this border so oh, it gives yeah. him this distorted kind of look yeah like a fractured you know kind of yeah uh, sense of is uh, there was a couple of little touches like that in the film i was like actually you know what that's that's some nice you know kind of composition there that's kind of adding to the themes in the film so yeah i did notice those as well i thought uh, they were quite good yeah and and so what then happens happens with the plot is that um, Barnes then contacts the doctor, he says he's, who says he's innocent, and says he's innocent, but then he finds out that the, that the tracker that was implanted in him has, is basically filled with poison that'll, yeah. that'll kill him. That'll it's kill him if he goes rogue, which he's supposed to have done. So mm. what then happens is that Sons' old partner then kind of shoots Lyndon Meyer's computers as he's about to activate the poison in the tracker and killing Barnes, once again showing that Lyndon Meyer's got evil, which isn't really set up very well in the narrative. Mm. And then we see that then we see Sid turn up outside the doctor's house where it's been established earlier she has a young daughter. And the daughter's established mm. purely so that she can be like the damsel in distress at the end in a very kind of... I mean, I think the scene earlier on that shows the daughter connect, connecting with Barnes is sort of well done, but you can sort of tell it's 
she's only included so that they can have a similar repeat scenario yeah. at the end where, where Barnes has got to save a little girl once again. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, the cruiser and the little girl, absolutely, I think we're just there to kind of drive the plot a little bit more. And, and it could have been... Because, like, when the when the girl kind of comes up to the car, at first, it, it wasn't set up well at all. You didn't really understand what was going on. I just thought yeah. the random girl off the street. I didn't even realise it was the Doctor's daughter, actually, at first. Um, so I think, yeah, it was kind of thrown in there a bit heavily just to then set up that ending where he gets yeah. to have redemption by saving, you know, a little girl who he couldn't before, basically, or saving his daughter who he couldn't before. Yeah, it just feel, so, like, a, yeah. It just feel like a bit of a last-minute element that they sort of threw in there. It's like, oh, wait, we have to tie this back into Denzel's origin story. Mm. So... Yeah. So what then happens is Sid goes to a TV studios where they're holding an immigration debate. For some reason, it's like this this debate and immigration's being held. I just thought that was kind of a weird sort of setup for for like um, Sid taking over the airwaves. I guess because it's like it's a debate that's taking place, and then we'll once then once Sid takes over and holds the camera crew hostage and kills the person speaking for immigration. He then gets mm. the audience to vote on whether the hostages live or die. So that's him kind of gaining attention. But that's almost yeah. like but that's almost like what a politician would do, one. And second of all, why are the audience immediately on board with what Sid's doing? Because you've got people like voting on whether like the hostages are going to live and die. And you're like, surely at this point people would, wouldn't be voting at all. <laughs> but you're like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> why is why is suddenly everyone like as soon as he takes over the airwaves literally that you see the numbers spike in the number of yeah years, and like, people know within a second that he's you know this is happening but also yeah i wonder whether that was kind of a a clunky way of saying because he was saying you know children don't watch but everyone else you're not going to be able yeah. to turn away like you be captivated by this so he's got this idea in his head that like this is a very normal i think he even <laughs> says at one point natural thing to kill to want to kill to feel that kind of yeah. pleasure from doing and maybe that's like a, a clunky way of them going well maybe all of us have got this kind of side yeah. stories and, things like that. and Denzel's character kind of walks that a bit more towards the, the borderline than most of us do and obviously Sid is yeah. far in the deep ends but maybe that's what Sid's trying to do he's trying to partly it's his own you know perverse kind of pleasure he gets from it but maybe he's also like he's trying to push this agenda that it's it's normal isn't it and that like we actually love that and that's why you're not gonna be able to take your eyes off it yeah but once again i feel like this would have been better set up if like the present day loss if, if the los angeles setting of the film had been shown to be like a crime-ridden hellhole like if they had shown that like everything had gone to shit and people are really you know people are just very amoral and violent Whereas here, yeah. we don't really get much of a hint of that. In fact, if anything, the what we see of the surrounding area, LA seems very kind of clean and pristine. So it doesn't mm. match up to like this whole idea that everybody's sort of craving violence. It it, it just seems to me to be a very hastily made and poorly established point to get the film yeah. some depth, like quite late on in quite late on in the runtime. Because we're getting up to like the film's third act now. Yeah, I, I think unfortunately that was the case for most of the points I think they were trying to make, wasn't it? It was just yeah. done the same thing. So what happens is that Barnes catches up to Sid once again, pump, pumps him full and full of bullets again, and they kind of 
run through um, up to the top of the building and they're also pursued by a police helicopter. And in the process, I think it's when Barnes and Sid are running through these glass, there's lots of shots of Barnes and Sid running through these glass panels that are getting completely shot out, mm. which reminds reminded me one partly of Blade Runner and two of Die Hard. And I thought it's clearly obvious that the, that the filmmakers are trying to rip off two kinds of two two films here at the same time. Yeah. So at the end, and then they sort of go up to the top of the building where they get into a fist fight. Um, I mean, a well-choreographed fist fight. Barnes tries to... Yeah. What were you going to say? No, just I thought that was actually one of the better action scenes in the film. I think there's nothing else with it. But very, very diehard, like you said. And even like the the bit where they're swinging on the the crane, you know, the window cleaning crane yeah. outside the window, stuff smashing through the glass. Yeah, kind of really reminded me of that. Yeah, and Barnes is trying to get Sid to tell him where 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 the doctor's daughter is, and Sid isn't saying anything, even when this Barnes sends him crashing through a window, and Sid ends up getting the presses, getting all his limbs chopped off, which I mm. thought was a good effect, and... Again, going back to the foreshadowing with the snake earlier on, we see Sid trying to regenerate his limbs and Barnes rips out the core, killing Sid, um, which you'd think would be the end of the film. But Lindenmeyer then sort of shows up and, and then sort of says, well, you're not going to be able to find out where the little girl is. And so we end up with a, a kind of a tacked on climax because it's almost like they've realised oh shit, we need to make VR figure into this somehow. So they go back to the training room where Barnes is having to go through the whole scenario again with the in the building, in VR, to, to get the information from Sid where the girl is. All the while, mm. the girl's locked in this, this, they find out she's in this um, this this sort of cooling tower with the, with, with the bomb. Yeah, it's like a tank yeah. with the bomb. But I'm thinking the girl would be dead by now, surely, you know, with Barnes sort of having to go through the VR simulation so many times. That must, that, that must be wasting so much time. And then he turns up and there's like a few minutes left, isn't there? Yeah. Um, yeah, I did like the fact that he kind of went back to the VR. I mean, you're right. It was like it was sandwiched. You had a VR scene at the beginning and then it was just all kind of any kind of normal 90s cock film or whatever. And then the VR back in at the end. And you're right, maybe that was like a last minute decision for them to be like, oh shit, actually, this is meant to be about virtual reality, let's get them back in there. But whether they did it on purpose or not, I, I, I thought that was uh, a better way of ending it than they potentially would yeah. have been, you know, just in the diehard kind of sequence. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I like it when Sid is sort of defeated and you see a CGI model of Russell Crowe's face. That, that was effective where he becomes a program once again because mm. Lyndon Meyer who Lyndon Meyer then comes in and tries to kind of break Sid out again and kill um, and oh, kill Denzel. Yeah. He also kills Denzel's partner. So mm. we have to have a sort of brief action sequence where the doctor knocks out, Lin- deals with Lyndon Meyer and kind of, and kind of gets Denzel out of the, out of the incredibly dangerous VR machine, which again, why did they make it so dangerous? It would give like a training officer seizures, like, Again, yeah, this where's feels... the big red button? Where's the big red button? He just hits and then he turn it off. It feels like something from a more dystopian society than the film presents. Again, if I could get it, if the 
if the if the world of this film was set up to be more like RoboCop, like um, like a, a, a post-apocalyptic Detroit, I get it, yeah. but it just doesn't work in yeah. the sort of world of this film. Like, why they would make something that sadistic? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And even that, what was the guy that got killed? The scientist that was trying to create Sheila. Oh, um, uh, he was, yeah, he, he was some, he was called a uh, Clyde. Clyde, wherever he was. Yeah. I mean, even his like little setup and stuff with that big monstrous egg and all the nanotechnology and him being like, obviously a bit of a perv and things like that. <clears throat> yeah. Quite a weird setup here going on. Yeah. It, yeah. The rest of the theme of the film was. Yeah. Cause the rest of the film isn't that sort of like. I mean, it's R-rated, but it's not like hard R-rated like that in terms of sex and violence. So when it does come up, you're like, oh, okay, this is interesting, but it doesn't yeah. quite belong belong with the rest of the film. No. So, so what then happens is once they get the information from Sid, Denzel and the doctor go to the go to like the tanker to find the daughter, and it becomes like a ticking bomb sort of scenario. And again, I don't think they you could sort of tell the writers didn't know that much about computers because they tried to override Sid's bomb, but Sid then sort of overrules them. But then they sort of end up doing it anyway. They end up sort of causing the glitch to happen. And it does feel very underbaked. It feels like they had a it feels like they had had a sort of red wire, green wire, ticking bomb scenario. Yeah. And they and they tried to kind of tack the AI stuff onto that. No, no, yeah. not the AI, like the, little... the, the computer stuff onto that that didn't really work. Yeah. I like the little reference they had to Jurassic Park. You know, when he's like trying to trying to figure out how to turn it off. Oh, yeah. Like that. Uh, uh, yeah. Really yeah. You, you but... can sort of tell that was there. I think they included that part deliberately because it was like, oh, the only real thing the audience knows about computers is but what <laughs> from, from recent films from Jurassic Park. Let's just put that yeah. in. Yeah, that's, that's what everyone's used to. But so, I mean, again, it's it's his it's his kind of bionicness, his you know walking that synthetic line that is what then is enables him to defuse the bomb again, isn't it? I feel that was another kind of little part they stuck it in there to kind of show again that similarity and you know because he's it's that whole theme of him being the only one who's able to do it, and I think the reason is that because yeah. he is himself. Are synthetic, but you know, bionic. But again, they don't really emphasize like the arm. Like they could have had it say more of the metal showing, or they could have shown that it yeah. had had a great had ability to maybe grab onto the girl because she's lost her footing and it can only hold her. It's the only thing that can hold her weight. They don't mm. really make a, a lot of use of that. And again, it's just right. he may as well just have had another arm, another normal arm. Like <laughs> it just feels like a missed opportunity. Yeah, they could have done a lot more with that. So anyway, uh, Denzel and the Doctor rescue the girl and Denzel takes Sid's core, power core, and throws it onto the streets where it smashes and gets run over by a car. I was going to ask you about that, actually. You know, you know when he's about to throw it? Yeah. He, he stops and he looks at it. Yeah. And it's like he's deciding something. And then he just obviously goes, screw it, and throws it in the street. But what do you think... What was your understanding of why he stopped? I, I think it was the whole thing of we're not so different, you and I, the connection between him and Sid. But once again, that doesn't yeah. make sense because 
I, we're not shown that Parker is tempted enough by Sid's offer, and we're also Sid is shown to be fucking homicidal from the start, whereas Parker is shown to be a pretty much decent guy who made a couple of mistakes. There's not enough of a connection between them, and we're also not shown that Parker is that enamored with VR technology to begin with. So it doesn't make sense why he's like, oh, I might just keep this. It feels like a, a moment thrown in there just to have some tension about, oh, is he going to yeah. keep this? Just to keep, just to have the audience briefly holding their breath. And it's like, it doesn't really work. Yeah, I think you're right. It was probably just more of an ad-lib thing, wasn't it? Thrown in. So, it could have had again so much else. So yeah, that was our look at virtuosity. Um, Adam, what were your thoughts on it? So, you know, I saw before I watched it, I, before I watched any film, you have a little like an IMDb. Um, and I saw it's got a rating of 5.5. And I'd say that's pretty justified, I think, you know. Might give it a six, maybe. I think it had, like we've been talking about, had all these, they started to build the foundations or interesting ideas as foundations for what could have progressed into something potentially far more insightful or exploratory about AI and VR, you know, virtual reality coming up. But I think, I think he probably, like you said, it was kind of start off like that and then it kind of petered out and it just went into more of the cliche, heavy action kind of montages and films that we're used to from like that, you know, that era. I think that was a little bit of a cop-out. I would have liked to have seen a lot more kind of, I like to say, exploration in, into that world that was becoming very new around that time or becoming more into the conscience of, you know, America and British life and the rest of the world. Um, so... Yeah, not not the not the worst film in the world, but I would have. I think they fell short of what they were aiming for. Um, but then, like I said as well, I did give them a bit of leeway because I think this is one of the first, one of the earliest films I've seen that had those ideas running through them. And so, yeah, I mean, you also had the lawn. You also had the lawnmower man, which had a similar sort of thing. Yeah. With, with, but instead, it's like it's like an ordinary guy who sort of becomes corrupted. In this case, it's like an actual um, virtual reality. I guess AI, we would say now, person mm. coming to life. And I think it was, I think it was the very early stages of Hollywood trying to come to grips with that and not quite knowing yeah. how and trying to fit it into an established format of like a cop thriller yes. starring Denzel Washington. But again, as with all new technologies, not quite knowing how to pull it off. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It was, wasn't it? It was Hollywood's wrestle with that new idea and trying to almost kind of manhandle it into the more established kind of cheesy cliche action films and stuff. And yeah, for that reason, it's interesting idea, but I think poorly executed. But then again, you know, it sets it sets the the path then for other films to start that are looking at that kind of thing to start to grow from, doesn't it? So, you know, everyone has to kind of start or every idea and theme that we see. I mean, it's kind of... It's kind of amazing that this film came like four years before The Matrix, isn't it? Yeah, it is, to be fair. Because like, especially when like, you look at the difference, like the CGI and everything. Like that oh, well. yeah. It, 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 it's, it's like, it's like mind-blowing. It's like sort of going from like... From like something like Sega Mega Drive to the PS One in terms of oh, gaming, oh, yeah. in terms of gaming technology, this is like the cinematic 
equivalent of that happening. Yeah, and there was some bits of virtuosity that I I felt they they tried didn't try hard at all with trying to delve more into that AI world and stuff. Like so, for example, like when he's when he's still in the computer and he hasn't been let out yet, there's like these weird screens that come up and they like, oh yeah, there might be on them, but there's like sheet music and then there's like these rotating stone columns that have got like different symbols on the things, but they're all kind of very human interpretations of these things, and it was it was kind of like it was set to like almost like the 90s windows screensaver style of oh yeah of like background images and stuff but i just thought you know what this is really mm. you literally just kind of got yeah. <laughs> some windows like xp images there and just like gone with it but you really could have maybe put a bit more detail in there and kind of drawn us in a bit more but that kind of kept me from really taking it seriously as a it's a real sci-fi film, I think. You know, yeah. I, I would say I saw it more as an action film with a side of sci-fi for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, in, um, on our, it's interesting, uh, our next episode is also going to feature, um, it's, it's going to feature um, te- technological knowledge gone completely wrong. In this case, it's, um, in that case, it's going to be filmmakers completely screwing up hacking because we're going to be mm. looking next episode at Swordfish, starring Hugh Jackman, um, oh, yeah, John yeah. Travolta, right. and Halle Berry. And if you've seen the film, Halle's Berries, if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, you'll, you'll have to have seen the film. If you've seen the film, if you're one of the, if you're one of the lucky people who've seen the film, you'll get that reference. Um, Adam, thank you very much for joining me. Um, are, there any kind of, are, are, are there any social media links you want to give out um to anybody who's interested in your work i mean unfortunately it's not that kind of work where i'd i'd get followers or anything like that but i do have a my, my company's called red yeti films um i'm primarily into uh or doing a lot of virtual reality filming production things like that especially around um social issues and stuff but also do, you know, the kind of normal videography stuff from side to side. So, yeah, I'm always uh, online, available if people want to talk or, you know, are interested in that kind of thing. Absolutely hit me up on there. Same on Instagram as well, Radio Films. But thank you for having me, Adam. Yeah, it was interesting. I, had, I hadn't seen that film before, and I'm quite a big fan of the old school dystopian yeah. sci-fi. Um, and I think probably in the past, I know I've seen the title before, and it's probably the the rating that's put me off it, but it was, it was worth a watch. And I'd, you know, especially if you were, Keen on sci-fi and even like the history of how it's developed over the years. It's I think it's it's worth sitting down if you've got a few hours, you know, late in a Friday night or something, and yeah, seeing what we're talking about. But but we can kind of see why that film's been 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 mostly forgotten because it's not the best. It's not the best example of the genre. Yeah, you've got to be pretty into sci-fi, I think, to go back and watch that out. But yeah. Okay, so that's um, that's the end of um, our episode looking at virtuosity with me and Adam Wynn. Um, our next episode, as we said, as I said earlier, is going to be Swordfish, and that's going to be coming in September because uh, I'm going to be spending the vast majority of August tied up with reviewing the Edinburgh Fringe. I will be reviewing over at thewereview.com. That's all one word, it's we as in W-E-E, not the French, we-we. Oui, oui. 
Um, if you if you like to get early access to this podcast, you can subscribe to my Patreon. It's Forney Film Reviews. It doesn't cost much um, because you can also you also get access not only to this podcast but also to my written reviews on the latest Hollywood's latest Hollywood films to come out. And until then, keep watching. Thank you.